Welcome to No Truck Stops, the Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin. Joining me is absolutely no one. All of my co-hosts are sick or uh, were never interested in Pac-12 basketball to begin with. So I am doing literally the last thing in the world that I ever wanted to be doing on this goddamn podcast and going solo because I don't enjoy talking for 30 minutes straight. But I am about to do it because we have a duty to get this out every single Monday. So I hope I never do this again. Uh, I hope my po- my podcast co-hosts never uh, get uh, sick at the same time again. That is absolutely brutal for me and potentially for you. I just think it's worse. But here we are. Whatever. Anyway, uh, on this week's episode of No Truck Stops, we'll talk about the last remaining Pac-12 team in the NCAA tournament, and that is UCLA. We'll talk about their path. We'll talk about this is just going to be a UCLA episode. So if you you're a UCLA fan, you follow me because of all my UCLA stuff. You're in for a treat. Uh, that's what this podcast episode is going to be all about. So, uh, but first, of course, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's always appreciated. Uh, we have not gotten review bombed lately, but we also haven't gotten a bunch of five stars. So. Hey, why don't you uh, throw us five stars, especially if you're tuning in for basketball season, you're just discovering this podcast. We would really appreciate it. And of course, check us out on Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. We've always got some sort of content there. Or if you don't want to pay for content, there's an option to leave us a $3 tip. We would really, really appreciate it. Anyway, uh, I've got 30 minutes of talking to do, so you might as well get into it. Uh, UCLA uh, is the last remaining team in the Pac-12. I think that says something deeper about the Pac-12, if I'm being honest, but uh, they are the last team remaining in the NCAA tournament. They beat Northwestern 68-63 to on Saturday in what was a uh, needlessly exciting game. Uh, UCLA got up to a very big lead by halftime. Uh, I think they were up by as many as 14 Late in the first half, Northwestern ended up cutting that to 10 by halftime, and they clawed, Northwestern clawed all the way back to tie it at 45-45 midway through the second half, and the game was close the rest of the way. UCLA felt like they might be able to pull away, and then they did not. Um, Northwestern stayed at UCLA's hip for the vast majority of the game at that point. Uh... First of all, uh, Northwestern is a pretty resilient team. I was kind of impressed. I don't obviously. I think UCLA did not do anything. Per, didn't they? Didn't play particularly well in that second half. Uh, that was not a great half. But I was impressed with Northwestern's shot making. Felt like they made some really really tough shots. Uh, they took advantage of a couple of minutes from Mac Etienne. They took advantage of Adem Bona, who did not look particularly good in this game. Uh, Bubui and Chase Adige, I think, I think is his name. Uh, they were awesome. They were just two dudes who were gonna uh, make buckets. They were just like these traditional shot makers in March that you get um, dudes who can get hot and were just making some really really tough shots. Uh, you'll probably notice if you're skimming the ba- the box score. Matthew Nicholson had 17 points. He was pretty good. Uh, I, I think he is. His contributions were more as a big as a rebounder. That uh, that really hurt UCLA. UCLA got out rebounded in this game. Actually, uh, thirty four to twenty eight. Uh, Fourteen offensive boards to UCLA's three. 
not not typically what happens to UCLA. UCLA is an elite offensive rebounding team. Uh, I, I think Northwestern sides bothered them a little bit. Five of those fourteen came from Matthew Nicholson. He is a seven foot dude, and he's and he's pretty big too. Um, I think that sort of size hurt him a lot. Dembona not being all the way there, him looking close. In fact, he recorded one rebound, one offensive rebound all game. Not good from your starting center. So there's some stuff to figure out there. Uh, UCLA, on the other hand, uh, it was pretty clear to me that Northwestern was going to do anything it could to take Jaime Hawkins away and take him out of this game. Time Hawk is his credit. He had 11 points off 19. He had a 20, 24 points off 19 shots, 11 for 19 shooting from the floor, which is ridiculous uh, in a game where supposedly the other team was trying to take him away. Um, at the same time, UCLA was force feeding the shit out of Jaime Hawkes. It really felt like they were. Uh, it, it felt like they they felt that it felt like Mick Cronin felt like Jaime Hawkes was his really. Off, only offensive uh, answer, truthfully, and it sucked. It was not um, that that I think really hurt UCLA. Not Mick Cronin not trusting some of the other guys there. Amari Bailey had 14 points off five for seven shooting. I think he only got three shots in the second half. And Amari Bailey has been uh, on a heater the past five games. I think he's shooting something like 64 percent. I tweeted that number. Something like 64 percent over the past five games. He's been in on, a, on an absurd run. And a lot of it is teams are starting to tighten up and uh, crowd Jaime Hawkes and try to dare anyone else to beat him. But Amari Bailey is a really good scorer. He's a, uh, he's a really impressive scorer for him being a freshman. Um, he's a, he does not usually take very many bad shots. His shot selection is incredible for him being as young as he is. Um, and his, his, handles are uh impressive for him now there's a couple times where i felt like he forced it did end up turning it over i think there was at one point he sort of drove into the teeth of northwestern's defense uh dribbled a little bit too much and then lost the ball but uh in general amari bailey uh i think should probably be getting a little bit more shots getting more shots generally um tiger campbell didn't have a good game either oh for seven he had 12 points off over seven shooting he had 12 free throws which I think is a testament to his ability to attack and draw fouls. He's always been good at that. He, in particular, this game, he leaned on that heavily. Uh, I th- I think that's important. At the same time, I Tiger Campbell goes through these stretches where he gets absolutely nothing, um, and he was not giving. Uh, aside from those very crucial free throws, uh, I, I think gave them very little uh, in terms of scoring um and in terms of i don't know shot mocking shot making playmaking uh did have seven assists i mean i think ucla's offense runs better when he's out there but uh i i don't sort of feel like him being used as a playmaker shot maker for himself a shot creator for himself is always the best way to use him uh a dembona though uh he did not look good in this game uh if i'm being completely honest i it just with with him he, he's he does this thing and he kind of does it throughout the season. People are sort of saying, Oh, well he's uh, reverted back to some of his early season, early season woes of just overreacting and everything. He's kind of been doing this all year uh, where he's been jumping at literally everything. And it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. If you're sort of watching a Dambona on defense, uh, his, his uh, penchant for trying to block everything is both good because he gets some really 
the highlight blocks as we saw in this game. But then he draws, he he uh, commits some really stupid fouls or puts UCLA in a bad position when he just tries just jumping at everything. Uh, that's going to be a problem for UCLA moving forward. We'll talk a little bit about their next matchup and how that might factor in. Um, so I, the the one player that I think kind of it really impressed me was Kenneth Nuba. Kenny Nuba came in and I think was maybe UCLA's best defensive big man. He has been, first of all, he has been, I, I am ready to die in this fucking hill. He has been their best interior defender all season. I, I don't, I get that Adembona is athletic. I get that people love Adembona. I think he's. I think the thing that he does really well is he's a great help defender. Um, he he can sort of, and we saw it in this Northwestern game. He can sort of rush uh, the the ball handler on one of those screens and trap help trap that ball handler and create some havoc there. And then also be athletic enough to get back and recover to the roll man right so that. Uh, UCLA doesn't get screwed on those plays, and and it worked right when he has to. Bryce was talking about hard hedging and going up to tagging on the perimeter. A Dembona can do that as a big man, right? He can he can go up and um, tag five feet from the perimeter, right? Tagging meaning, you know, you get a pit, you get a screen. Uh, the ball handler gets a screen at the three point line, and you know what does a big man do in that situation? When you bring a big man, you get a like a point guard center screen situation uh Adembona can jump out to prevent any sort of uh tomfoolery with three-point shots and then he can go all the way back and recover to his man down low uh he's athletic enough to do that and he's long enough to get inside the passing lane to make that to make the ball handler think twice about whether he's going to actually get it to the to the role man in time Adembona can do that what I think Kenny Nuba is much better at is is being a big man defender. He can't get all the way out to the perimeter. I don't think he's as useful there. But when he drops back and is uh, being asked to take on a big man one on one, he's he's really good. And he was really good in this game too. It felt like uh, Matthew Nicholson. His best minutes came against the Dembona. His best minutes came against Mac Etienne, who had two minutes and an absolutely horrific two minutes. I mean, I don't think that's like it super indicative of what he is as a player, but. That was an absolutely brutal ten minute, two minutes from Mac Etienne. Um, so Kenny Nuba, I, I think, was a surprisingly good player, unheralded player this game. Um, he threw in uh, what it two points, which is uh, normal for him. But it, but his defense just uh, is really impressive. Uh, I, I'm impressed with how well he stays in front of dudes, how physical he can get in ways that. I'm not sure a Dembona like I don't a Dembona is a I think a stronger player but he doesn't seem to be as physical as Kenny Nuba is. Kenny Nuba gives hard fouls. Uh he's contesting everything. He's a really tenacious defender. He's gotten so much better as a defender over the course of his career. So um that was impressive. And then Dylan Andrews also, right? He uh he had some really great plays and some really great defense. He got really good defense from Mari Bailey. Uh, you got really great defense from Kenny Nuba, and you got really great defense from Dylan Andrews. The rest, I think, the rest of the players on that floor m- kind of got cooked uh, in this super low possession game. It doesn't seem like it because 63 points is, is a low point total, but it was off 60 possessions, uh, and that's not particularly, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think that's particularly impressive. I would say that UCLA's defense on the whole was a pretty good defensive performance, I think if you take away those two Mac Etienne minutes 
and you take away maybe like two really tough shots that Northwestern made that were contested, I don't know, that gets them to 57 points, and that's like 57 points off 60 possessions. That's right under the one-point-per-possession benchmark that is calibra- that all these metrics are calibrated around. Um, yeah, that's not bad. Um, so, But still, uh, Jaime Hawkins got cooked defensively. He got absolutely burned. At some point, Northwestern was hunting him. They were just like, yeah, let, let's get Boo Booey or Chase Adige. Uh, let's just let's just try to switch Jaime Hawkes onto them and let them cook Jaime Hawkes. And a lot of that had to do with how tired Jaime Hawkes was, and how uh, I mean, just how much he was being relied on on offense. Uh, you sort of can tire Jaime out, and then what happens with UCLA's offense? They're gonna go and let Jaime work every single trip down. That's why you need Amari Bailey to take more shots, I think. And Mick Cronin said that in uh, the post game. Anyway, UCLA does advance though, despite that uh, ugly performance. UCLA is going to have them. It. The thing with UCLA is they've had several of these kind of ugly performances where you're just like, what the fuck was that? Um, and, and they keep kind of, escaping them and who gives a shit if it was an ugly game if as long as they escape right i don't think that this is a harbinger of things to come for ucla i just think that northwestern's kind of a scrappy team um and frankly they seem pretty well coached so at this at this stage and then in the season that's all you're getting is you're getting teams who have some talent eh, northwestern doesn't have a ton of talent they have like boo booey who I still don't think it's starting at UCLA even. And I'm not saying that as a joke. I genuinely sort of mean that he's a great player. I'm not sure that he's like ultra talented, but they're well coached. Um, anyway, so that is UCLA. They go on to their second straight or technically third straight sweet 16. They went to the final four in 2021, went to the sweet 16 in 2022. That was last year and are back in the sweet 16 this season. So they are going back uh, first of all, before we get to their matchup, which is Gonzaga, who beat TCU, before we get there, it must be said, like, Mick Cronin has, uh, I, I, in his three opportunities to go to an NCAA tournament, we have now gotten three Sweet 16s and one Final Four. Two six, Sweet 16s and a Final Four, if you want to count it like that. Um, that's impressive. I think the thing that's been most impressive about Mick Cronin and something that I've talked about is just the clear identity and constancy of purpose that UCLA has. Like they are a team that likes to slow things down and grind it out. They are a team that uh, likes to control the pace of the game. Now they'll play up tempo, but mostly it's off turnovers, right? They sort of, the, the turnovers are an opportunity for them to be up tempo and get easy shots. That's what they do. Um, that's the time where you'll, kind of see them speed things up a little bit or maybe on um you know a a long rebound of some sort or a block or something that's when you'll see ucla go up tempo for the but the rest of the time they're deliberate um they pick their spots where they want to pick up the pace uh and and are very deliberate about when they do that and they're deliberate in the half court they they um they're half court team offensively defensively they are constantly hunting turnovers they like to switch everything uh, to the point where Dembona gets so many minutes because he is probably for the first time under the Mick Cronin era, a guy who can like switch all the way out into the perimeter. They get to press up on teams defensively. Um, they are now starting to press teams from like the quarter court, the you know three quarters court. Um, it's 
that's just UCLA's identity at this point is they're a really good defensive team. They're going to be good on defense most of the time. Um, they are going to try to slow things down offensively. This year, I think we've seen some you know orientation of ball movement because UCLA has less, less shot makers. But if UCLA's got a shot maker, they're going to lean on them heavily. Um, and in some ways, I think that's helpful. In some ways, I'm like, oh, God, you know, I really wish they could uh, spread the ball out a little bit more. But that's what UCLA is. They they have a very clear identity, a very, very clear constancy of purpose. Mick Cronin always cites offensive rebounds and turnovers, right? That they want to up their number of offensive rebounds, up their number of turnovers as a very clear analytic commitment. Um, there are people talk about analytics and being analytics driven. You can be analytics driven in any number of ways. Like being an analytics driven team comes with. There are different ways to do that. That there are just there's a mountains and mountains of evidence in college basketball that we can draw on uh need oats at alabama and a bunch of other t- teams out there following the nba model of well threes count more than two so we're only going to shoot three pointers or layups and also we're going to pick up the pace because we're more talented up your possessions get more three pointers because three counts more than two and only take layups and no mid-rangers because they're an, an invaluable shot analytically that is an analytics approach. That is not analytic fact. Um, that is one philosophy when you engage in basketball analytics. Another is to take Mick Cronin's, which is we're going to increase the number of shots that we take, increase the number of possessions that we get by getting offense, pri- prioritizing offensive rebounds, and prioritizing getting turnovers. Uh, two things that UCLA has done well all season. So um, that those are anal- that's an analytic stance. That's just a different kind of analytic stance. Now, Mick Cronin is always analytic, analytically oriented, like his two-minute foul participation thing. Very dumb. Um, in UCLA's case with Northwest- Northwestern, it kind of helped a little bit uh, because Dem Bona went out kind of early with two fouls and Kenny Nuba came in, and Kenny Nuba played better than Dem Bona did, if I'm being completely honest. Anyway, uh, so that is... that. That I'm just taking a step back uh, and looking at what Mick Cronin has done. I'm really impressed. But now there's some things that are going to piss me off and that still piss me off, such as uh, leaning too heavily on Jaime Hawkes. That was very annoying. Uh, I think Amari Bailey has gotten to the point now where he can he can take over some of the um, some of those possessions. I think um, he can he can start to play a, a more central role in this offense at this point. He is UCLA second option uh, scoring wise. Um, Tiger Campbell, I don't think should be like seen as a a major scoring option. As a third scoring option, sure, I think that'd be great. As a second scare, scoring option, that's scary hours for UCLA. If if that's if I'm being honest, uh, it has to be Amari Bailey. I think he can create his own shot, especially if Jaime Hawkins is drawing as much attention as he is. Amari Bailey's got some. He's got some skill. Um, and, and he's really coming into his own right now. So I hope he gets his, his shots. So that's one thing that pisses me off about Mick Cronin. And the other is his unwillingness to play certain guys and his acknowledgement that he does. So, uh, Dylan Andrews, first of all, this was Jalen Clark for like a couple years running. And it was also like Jalen Hill. And it was also miles Johnson. Like those two players, Jalen Clark and miles Johnson at three players and Jalen Hill in his time at UCLA. Uh, are all three players that I think really should have gotten more minutes than they did. And UCLA would have notched at least, I don't know, two more wins per year if they did, uh, at least. So um, 
this year it's Dylan Andrews. Um, Dylan Andrews got 15 minutes today. I sort of think he probably should have gotten 20, maybe even 25. Uh, I and and the question is, where do those minutes come from? Uh, if Dylan Andrews, Dylan Andrews' defense is awesome. Uh, he is not a bad shooter. He's a pretty decent playmaker, especially coming off the bench, especially as a freshman. He should be taking minutes from David Singleton. Um, D- David Singleton is an important shooter, uh, and, and I and I love David Singleton, but he's not giving you the athleticism and the speed and the defensive tenacity that An- Dylan Andrews has given you. Um, so maybe somewhere between, like, if you had to take, he's getting 15 minutes, he had to take 10 minutes between David Singleton and, and Tiger Campbell, take, you know, four minutes from Dig, uh, Tiger Campbell and six minutes from David Singleton. Um, let, let Dylan Andrews work a little bit. There's always that one player every single year with Mick Cronin where you're like, why isn't that dude getting more minutes? So let's, let's see how that works out. Um, anyway, so those are just a couple of like his rotations piss me off. Sometimes he's not a perfect coach. I don't want anyone to think that I'm just, just being complete like ass eater here. Uh, I, I do think that there's some things that really frustrated me about Mick Cronin, but on the whole, uh, to get to this point where we're now in year four and really only had three opportunities for an NCAA tournament, his first year, COVID-19, and and honestly probably would have gotten to the tournament that year also. Um, this has been impressive. So, no, um, uh, I, I, this, is, this has been great. Um, okay, moving on to UCLA's Sweet 16 matchup. Yeah, they get they get Gonzaga again. This is now the third straight year that UCLA plays Gonzaga at some point. Uh, that's probably pretty rare, frankly. Um, they've got to play. They played Gonzaga in 2021, obviously in that um, that thrilling all time NCAA tournament Final Four game where I think it was Jalen Suggs hit that. <laughs> A prayer of a three-pointer to win the game for Gonzaga. Uh, it, for folks who don't remember, Gonzaga was beating the shit out of everyone in the tournament. I don't think they had a, they were trailing at all in the second half up until the UCLA game. UCLA comes in, takes them to the brink, takes them to overtime in a game where Gonzaga had in a in a game where Gonzaga had not been pressed like that um, all season. Um, so just some nice light reminiscing. Uh, 2022, uh, that was in the non-conference, and UCLA came in as a, a a real contender. Like people sort of saw that Final Four, that entire team came back, and everyone said, "Oh, this UCLA team might be one of the best teams in the country. Um, they may be incredible." They came in, went were five and zero, had a home win against Villanova in their second game of the season. Villanova was um, a, a number 10 Kempom team at the time. They were ranked like in the top five. They beat Villanova in Los Angeles. Then they go win three more. So they come in with a, they're coming in five and zero. play a, the number one team in the country. I think at that time in Gonzaga and Gonzaga wiped the floor with them. Uh, they came out to a 20 point lead early on and uh, never looked back. UCLA played them even, I guess that's pretty cool, but when you're playing even after a 20 point deficit, uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't really move me. So, uh, that sort of exposed that UCLA team in 2022. If you remember, I know that people say, Oh, exposed. What are you talking about? They went to, they were, uh, probably not a top five team that year. Um, definitively not by no, uh, analytic 
metric were they a top five team. They entered with top five expectations, but they were pretty good. Uh, they were top, solidly top 15. They had the number 12 offense per Kempom, number 16 defense per Kempom. Like they were a solid team. They ended up losing to a very hot North Carolina team. So that is a brief history of UCLA Gonzaga. We get now this game, uh, the reverse of both of those. This time UCLA is favored. This time UCLA is the uh, better analytic team. Uh, they are the number three Ken Palm team playing the number seven Ken Palm team in Gonzaga. Uh, Ken, Ken Palm has Gonzaga as a three-point underdog to UCLA. This game's going to be in Las Vegas, too, um, a game, a, a place that UCLA and Gonzaga are both very, very familiar with. So that should be interesting. So I, I've been watching Gonzaga in the TCU game. I watched them a little bit in the Grand Canyon game. They had to beat Grand Canyon, uh, their 14 seed in the first round and then they had to beat um they had to beat uh, TCU in the round of 32. Uh Gonzaga struggled just so folks know who don't watch truck stops. I did watch these games unfortunately as uh you know it's one of my one of my sins here. Um Grand Canyon uh they they pressed Gonzaga for about a half and Gonzaga ended up putting them away in the second half. TCU uh, they gave Gonzaga a game all the way till the end. Uh, they Gonzaga won that game, eighty-four to eighty-one. Really struggled with uh, some of TCU's shot makers. Really struggled with Mike Miles, who had twenty-four points. Uh, and if you know, you probably watched Gonzaga in their first-round game against Arizona State. So, um, so yeah, that is how Gonzaga got here. Um, I don't know much about these teams about uh, Gonzaga. I've watched them a little bit. I've you know I look at the analytics. I'm tracking them. Um, but I think the most obvious thing is that their best player is still for like seven years in a row now. It's it's Drew Timmy. Uh, Drew Timmy is, I think, their most skilled player, their best player, probably their leader. I don't know if that's true. Um, I don't know if it's true that he's their leader. Sure seems like it, given his experience. Um, so what do I think about this game? Well, so number one... Um, I'll just stay right up top. I I think I think UCLA should be able to beat Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga's defense is, um, it's not, it's 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 fine. It's all right. Gonzaga's defense is fine. I think the thing that they had struggled with in the very 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 few games that I've seen is, uh, you know, they got cooked by a couple of shot makers. Um, they're not. They don't always strike me as super athletic. Um, which is good for UCLA because UCLA is not a super athletic team themselves. They've got a couple dudes. They got Dambona, uh, Amari Bailey, Dylan Andrews is pretty athletic. Maybe the third most athletic team player on that team. So uh, I think that might be a struggle. I think the the real question is how they manage Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy has averaged twenty one points a game, seven point three rebounds, three point two assists. If you're into any of the advanced analytics, uh, he has a thirty point six player efficiency rating. Average is fifteen. I would say like Pac twelve player, like a uh, Pac twelve player of the year level is like twenty seven, twenty six, twenty five. Uh, 30 is national player of the year shit that is um that's that's high um he has a 9.2 box plus minus meaning he's plus 9.2 when he's in which is very very good i don't know a bunch of nerd stats here he's he's a good player um he's a he's a good offensive player pretty decent defensive defender not great he's not super athletic but he's uh he's good um he's he's totally fine 
Um, the the issue is how is UCLA going UCLA going to handle him defensively? That is probably number one question for UCLA. Um, I am curious to see. Adem Bona is intriguing to me as a defender on Drew Timmy because he is so much more athletic than what Drew Timmy might be used to, and so much longer than what Drew Timmy might be used to. If Adem Bona like can stay disciplined, that'll be an intriguing matchup. The issue is Adem Bona is not disciplined he jumps at fucking everything we just said it i just said it we it's just me uh a dembona jumps at fucking everything and drew timmy with the thing that he's known for is his game looks a lot like Jaime Hawkes does uh which is he's got some great footwork he's got a lot of pumps he's got a lot of things that can that can draw other players into foul trouble a dembona's gonna here's the thing it may not matter whether uh mick cronin decides to go with kenny nuba here uh, I think a Dembona will make that choice for him. <laughs> a Dembona is either going to foul and get into foul trouble and sit like 20 minutes because Mick Cronin doesn't like uh, having dudes with foul trouble out there, or he's going to defend really well, not get into foul trouble, and Kenny Nuba or, or uh, and Kenny Nuba doesn't really get much of a shot, um, and he doesn't get and a Dembona doesn't get in foul trouble. So that's the thing that I'm really curious about to see is is that matchup. So. In some ways, it doesn't really matter if Dembona goes out there, draw, gets himself into foul trouble, and then we get Kenny Nuba. Okay, cool. Like we get we, th- that's the thing about this UCLA team is that their depth is so much better than it was last year, and I think even with Jalen Clark out, is still strong. Uh, Kenny Nuba is a really capable defender. It's not like throwing him out there against Michigan in 2021 for UCLA sickos who know he had to guard. Hunter Dickinson, who everyone said was going to cook UCLA, he did a really good job as a you know sophomore who, frankly, did not have a lot of tools back then, and he's got some tools now. So I'm I'm curious to see uh I'm I'm curious to see that. Um, Gonzaga's pace, not I don't know as much of a worry this time. Uh, they do play fast for sure, but they've played much slower this year analytically. And in the I don't know I've watched them I watched them against St. Mary's College also. Um. And they were much happier to they they were much more happy to play at a slower pace than I think I'd ever seen them in the previous years where I did watch some of their games. So uh, you know the other concern they've got some other dudes too, right? Julian Strother he is an athletic player. I think a little slight if I remember correctly. If I'm looking at him, I don't know. I don't know these players as well, but he looked a little slight to me. And I feel like UCLA. I don't know. Does UCLA have a slight player? Like maybe Amari Bailey. Yeah, I guess. Dylan Andrews a little bit, but like they're all physical, strong, tough dudes. Uh, so I I don't know. We'll see how they handle that. Uh, I, I think this UCLA team is experienced and talented and grizzled enough to get past this. Um, but it's it's scary because they've Gonzaga's had their number. And if we know anything about the McCronin era, it's that uh, – Teams that have McCronin's number tend to have them for a minute. I think he barely, McCronin barely got over his Oregon bug this year. Finally swept Oregon, swept them three to nothing, um, but has not gone quite over the Andy Enfield bug where UCLA had lost to USC in the second game, nearly lost to them in the first game, probably should have lost to them in the first game. Um, And now he's got a bit of a Tommy Lloyd bug um, where he has... I think he is two and four against Tommy Lloyd over the past two years. That is concerning to me. So um, I don't know. Is Mark Few the same thing? Does does Mick Cronin have a Mark Few Gonzaga problem? 
I don't know. Um, if UCLA gets eliminated here, I would get it because Gonzaga is a good team. At the same time, I just have so many worries and wonders about UCLA. There are some coaches who just have it out, who who, who have Micron and figured out. That's that's what's scary because then you got to run into those teams. You, this is not the first time UCLA is going to have to run into Gonzaga um, to claim West Coast dominance or to validate themselves or to advance in the NCAA tournament. Second time in three years that they've had to do it. In the three, third time in three years that they've had to play them um, and kind of, to kind of validate themselves. Who knows? Uh, that is that is a real question. So uh, implications for this game, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I think UCLA, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would be disappointed if UCLA lost this game. Uh, I get that Gonzaga is like a good team. But number one, uh, Sweet 16s at UCLA have a bit of a, they, they have, a, there's a tongue-in-cheekness to them. Getting to a Sweet 16, I think, and exiting at a Sweet 16 is a little bit disappointing at UCLA because they've had so many coaches get to Sweet 16s. Um, like Steve Lavin went to the Sweet 16 several times. I, I didn't watch him. I'm not old, so I didn't get to watch him. But that's his record. That's what everyone called him Steve 16 What I from what I remember. Uh, Steve Alford, also another Steve 16, got to the Sweet 16 like three times uh, and flamed out in all of them. So uh, UCLA has a has a thing for exiting at the Sweet 16. Personally, for me, it's got like such bad voodoo that I'd rather get bumped out in the round of 32. I know that sounds absolutely fucking insane, but I'd rather get bumped out in the round of 32 than have to hear another Sweet 16 UCLA exit. That that's annoying as fuck. So uh, I, I would be really disappointed, I think, just just knowing that very specific piece of context. I would also be very annoyed because it's Gonzaga. They've already lost to Gonzaga twice. There's that. It, there just feels like there's so much more. Like if they had played, if they were going to play TCU, right? It would be disappointing if they lost to TCU. But there's not that sort of like, yeah, they got their ass kicked by Gonzaga a third time. Specter hanging over UCLA's heads, or my head, as someone who watches and talks about UCLA. Um, that Specter would not be. That fucking cloud wouldn't be hanging over my head. So in some ways. It probably has to be Gonzaga. Let's see if Mick Cronin gets that monkey off his back. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I think we've got some questions to answer here. So uh, I did get a couple of questions here. Uh, I was um, as I was I was going to do a Twitter space. Didn't end up working. iPhones suck. Twitter spaces really suck. Um, it, it was just it ended early before anyone else got a chance to talk. So um, there's a couple questions here. Let's see. Um, someone asked, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to find it here. Gonzaga owns UCLA. This is from, um, at real Chator. Gonzaga owns UCLA, not just McCronin. Will UCLA change that trend on Thursday? This is a good point. Um, we'll see. I think they, I think UCLA, they're a better team this year. They are a better team than Gonzaga. They're a better team than they ever have been. This is the best UCLA team probably analytically, I mean, certainly since I've been watching, people are saying since 2008, analytically, but the metrics say this is the best UCLA team since 2008. Um, If I had to pick right now, I'd say yes. Um, I don't know what kind of game UCLA is going to get goaded into. Uh, You know, and, and can Gonzaga win ugly and in the ways that Arizona beat UCLA? 
I don't know. Arizona has a thing. Like, they played UCLA three times, and so they have more familiarity with him, uh, with Mick Cronin, that Gonzaga probably wouldn't have, right? Um, so anyway, we did get a question here from at the read option one. How much will UCLA miss Clark against Gonzaga? They miss him big time. I think, um, they've been doing a really good job of, um, I don't know, uh, playing defense in his absence analytically. They, I think they've improved some, although, you know, the Northwestern game, I think their metrics are going to go down a little bit. So it's about even, um, but the intensity is way up. And Mick, Mick Cronin said that, right? I think a lot of that has to do with UCLA's intensity going up. I'm really curious to see how they look against Gonzaga without Jalen Clark. They they could use someone jumping passing lanes. I think in that Northwestern game in particular, in the second half, Northwestern was not turning over the ball. And um, a lot of that, I think, could have, like I think Jalen Clark would have accounted for, I don't know, an extra two stolen possessions. Even if he wasn't the one directly getting those steals, I think he would have accounted for an extra two possessions um, for UCLA. And that might have been all the difference in the world. Might have made a a close game turn into a blowout. Um, so that's the um that's sort of what that's sort of what I'm really worrying about. Um at Alcor eight oh five asks, why does it feel like this matchup was inevitable? Ah, <sighs> because the basketball gods um they they are driven by narratives too <laughs> um it's a narrative ucla gonzaga has become not a rivalry i'm not gonna say a rivalry i'd say like they have to go through each other it feels like it feels like they've got to go through each other gonzaga had to go through ucla in the early years ucla's had to go through gonzaga lately they're both really good programs coached by really smart dudes mark view i i like i don't know i enjoy watching gonzaga sometimes as much as i hate to say it uh drew timmy like his <laughs> he's a good player i fucking hate drew timmy i think he uh and apparently he's also uh been hitting on high school girls from from what a gonzaga former manager had posted a while back if uh, that is pretty concerning but purely from a basketball sense he is a good player um so anyway it sort of feels like it had to be gonzaga <laughs> uh it, it feels like there was no other way if ucla is gonna do this they're gonna have to beat some good teams and they're probably gonna have to exercise some de- demons if it wasn't this demon it was gonna be some other demon so uh that is that's intriguing to me why they do that it's just just the basketball gods they they know Anyway, that's it. That is uh, that is all we have, all I have here to talk about UCLA. I talked about them for 40 fucking minutes. Imagine me just droning on for 40 minutes. Uh, I am so... Uh, Greg, Avery, if you're listening, fuck you too for leaving me here to do this by myself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love them too. Uh, I hope they feel better, but also they can go to hell, um, but also feel better, but also fuck you. Um... All right, that's it. That's all I have. If you've got any other questions, feel free to send them to add no truck stops pod, me at Equity Bro and Hell. Why not send a question to Avery at Brave Gapes or Greg at Bananamorphs? That is all I've got. I'm all talked out. Thank you very much for listening. Remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Things aren't always green, but on the sunny side of the street.
superstar.